Good morning. Thanks. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, as Mark said, we're reading from Romans 8, 18 to 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you all, always. So we're in this series on the Holy Spirit, and we're really just asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit, and what does it mean to be Spirit-filled people? What does it mean to be children of God who have His Spirit and go through this world walking in step with His Spirit and being filled with hope, praying in the Spirit, being God's kids, that's, that's what we're doing. Really, that's, I mean, the essence of, of Paul's, really his theology and ethics, uh, how are we supposed to live? The answer is live by the Spirit. <laughs> that's that's kind of, that sums up Paul's whole ethical vision of, of what walking with Jesus in, in this, this new life is all about. It's about life in the Spirit. So each week we're looking at different roles that the Spirit plays, different ministries he has in our life. And we're taking actually two weeks to look at his role in prayer the way that he comes alongside us and uh, gives great uh, meaning to our prayers. So last week, we, we did week one, and we talked about how the Spirit inspires in us this Abba cry, that when we are given the Spirit, one of his, his roles is to begin to convince us from the inside out that the creator God of the universe actually is our Father who loves us, and we're his kids. And so when we begin to pray in the Spirit, we start praying these prayers like children do to their dad. Prayers of freedom and authenticity and joy. And we can just come to the, the Father that way through the Spirit. So that's one of his roles is to inspire that kind of praying. And this morning, um, we're going to talk about another role he brings in prayer. But it has a very different feel. This is how the Spirit comes along. Wow, that was quite a scream. What is, um, we're going to be talking about groaning in a minute. This is close to groaning. Um, but how, how the Spirit comes alongside us in our prayers in the pains of life, in the, in the groaning of this present life where there's still sin and brokenness. So um, I, it's, this is, to me, just a beautiful passage. You know, Jesus calls the Spirit the comforter or the counselor. 
And today we see the comforter at his best. When we're going through hard times, the comforter comes alongside, and he's our companion in our suffering. He's the one who, who groans with us in this fallen world. And so if any of you are really going through it right now, I, my prayer this week has been that, that this would just you would be comforted by the presence of God with you through his spirit this week. So... Um, let's dive in. Let me, I want to give you some context to this passage before we get to really the heart is in verse 26 and 27, but a little context. Um, here's Paul's vision of what life is like now. It's, we live in the already not yetness of God's kingdom. So here's a timeline of the world. Um, it's going to go real by real fast. Um, Jesus comes at his first coming, and he inaugurates the kingdom of God, right? He brings the kingdom, but not in its fullness, of course, because this present age is still going on. One day, he will return, Christ 2.0, a second coming, and that will end this present age, and that will usher us into eternal life, right? So in, for now, we are living in the in-between times between Christ's first coming and his second coming. We call this the already, not yet time of God's kingdom. It's already here, but it is not yet here in its fullness by any means. And so we live in the tension, right, of the already not yet. Look at verse 18. It gives you that tension. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. That's an awesome verse. But it's capturing, we live in this present suffering, and yet we have this hope of future glory, and we we live with those things all at the same time, and so it creates great tension for us, an already not yet tension. And there's a metaphor that Paul uses in this passage that really gets at the tension. Uh, It's in verse 22, and it's the metaphor of the pains of childbirth, he says, and Uh, If any of you have gone through the pains of childbirth, or any of you have personally witnessed uh, a birthing process, I have intimately witnessed three births in my life, um, you know that 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 time of labor is, there's this incredible tension (laughs) wrapped up, right, in that time. Because on the one hand, there's this, there's this great excitement and anticipation. You've waited for nine months. This life has been forming, and it's already, it's almost here. And so there's this great hope of what's about to come. It's this great, right, exciting. There's tears, and there's expectation, anticipation. And yet, at the same time, it is a time of intense, I've been told, uh, and have seen, uh, agony and pain, right? There's this great discomfort until this life fully emerges. And the, the thing about it is it's all wrapped up in the same moment. Agony and anticipation, groaning and hoping, right? All together. And really that is, that is a great metaphor for what we're living in right now. I was looking at that line almost looks pregnant in the middle, doesn't it? Right? It's, it's wanting to give birth to something. And that is our lives in the in-between times. Already the good news has been conceived in our hearts if we have given our lives to Jesus. And there's this great anticipation, and yet we still live in this broken, fallen reality. And so we live in the already, not yet. And what Paul does in this passage is articulate the two postures of already, not yet. On the one hand, there's the posture of hoping, expectation for what's coming. And on the other hand, there's this posture of groaning. He uses that word a couple of times. Or suffering for what has not yet come. 
And so I just want to talk today a little bit about hoping and groaning and then the Spirit's role in that, particularly in our prayers, all right? So um, hoping and groaning in this in-between time, uh, verse 19 through 22, this is a whole sermon series that I'm not going to give this morning, but Paul actually articulates how the creation itself lives in this already not yet, this hoping and groaning stage. Uh, Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning right up to the present time. So here's the idea there. I'm going to give you a sermon series in 30 seconds. Um, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1 and 2, this beautiful place. And then sin enters the world, and God does something very interesting. He, he subjects even the natural order to a level of decay to what we call the curse, so that the natural order itself would somehow reflect the reality of human sin in the world. And so now there's sin and death and decay, and the idea here is he's sort of personifying the whole natural order, saying, man, it is, it's been subjected to futility, to a curse, and it's longing for its release from that. And one day when Christ comes again, he's going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth, right? And this current earth is going to be finally freed from that, that frustration and that curse and that decay to, to receive the glory that it was originally intended for. And I don't even know exactly what that looks like, but I can tell you this. If you think that sunsets in this fallen world look good, I promise you in the new heavens and new earth, they will be that much more glorious. All right? And, and the creation is longing with eager expectation to receive its freedom to become a new heavens and a new earth, which is what Revelation talks about. So it is hoping, it is waiting with eager expectation, and yet in the present time, it is groaning because it's longing for its release. And then in verse 23, more to our point, then Paul turns that towards us as followers of Jesus, that what the creation experiences, we also experience in this already, not yet. Look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, not just the creation, right, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, okay? We have this same dual posture. We groan, and yet we wait eagerly, right? So let me just start with the wait. On the one hand, we wait eagerly. We're, we're waiting for Jesus to return. He, he describes it as we wait eagerly for our adoption. Now, I think we've already been adopted. We learned that earlier in the chapter. So what I think he means by that is we're waiting for, to receive our full rights as adopted children of God, which will come when Christ returns. We'll receive these new bodies in the new heavens and new earth. Then we'll, we'll, we'll fully enjoy what it truly means to be God's adopted children. And we wait eager, eagerly for that. And then he goes into this, verse 24, talking about hope, right? We, we live with hope. And yet, uh, I like how my mom articulated but. Who hopes for what you already have? If you you already have it, you don't hope for it, right? It's something we're still longing for, and so we wait eagerly. We're hoping for it. So we are to live our lives in this fallen world filled with hope, with an eager expectation that this ain't ain't it right here. I mean, in Orange County, we try to make it it, but this ain't it. 
right? This is not, this is not our hope. Our, not, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in, is in the return of the king who will make all things right. And we live with hope in that future reality. So that's the hope side. But then the other side, he says, we groan inwardly as we're waiting eagerly for that future kingdom to come. We groan, he says. And what I want to do this morning, because this is where we really focus, I want to try to get us inside of the groaning this morning. And some of you, I mentioned, some of you are groaning right now. There's just a long groan going on in your life because of what your life is right now. So I want to try to get us inside of groaning. And I've been asking for some audience participation lately. Um, So we're going to hear the sound of groaning today. We've already heard the sound of the Spirit, right? That was easy. This one's kind of harder, I'll admit. Um, So I'll lead with a groan. And then you guys are going to groan after me. But I want us to hear what groaning sounds like. Again, if you've witnessed a birth, you have heard groans, okay? So I'll give my impersonation of a groan. All right, ready? Here's a groan. All right, sort of a sigh groan. All right, now you take your own version of that on three. It only doesn't work if we don't all do it. All right. One, and I want you to hear the sound of groaning. One, two, three. Yes, right? There's this heartfelt cry of pain of, I want this to be over. That's groaning, okay? Very important to distinguish that from another posture, which is called grumbling, Okay, I actually think this is important. Um, grumbling is what uh, the, the Israelites did often in the wilderness. It says they'd come out, God led them to freedom and then brought them into the wilderness. And then they'd say, but the Israelites grumbled against Moses and against God. And they would say things like, Moses, why did you take us out in the middle of the wilderness just to die of thirst or to be swallowed up by the Egyptian army? Okay, and so we've done this before, but I want you to hear what grumbling sounds like, because it sounds different than groaning, okay? So I want you in a low voice to say the word grumble like 10 times on the count of three, okay? This is what grumbling sounds like. One, two, three. Grumble, 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 okay? That's good, okay? Grumble, 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 versus... Uh, so they're very different, and it's important to, uh, you know, we're kind of having fun with this, but it's important to recognize the difference. Grumbling is this faithless response to the challenges of life that really questions God and demands signs from God, demands him to show up in the ways that we want. Groaning is this faith-filled response of authentic pain and suffering, but with hope that one day God will relieve us of our groaning, okay? They're different postures. But I want you just to get in touch right now with where, where in your life are you groaning? Like where, is, where has your heart been groaning in this new year? Um, for, for some of you, that groaning is, is very physical in nature, right? Like you are groaning Physically, in fact, in our passage, it says we who have the first fruits, we groan inwardly as we wait uh, for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, right? We're looking for these, these new bodies. We're so ready to be out of these old bodies. And some of you are groaning in your physical body. You have experienced disease 
or cancer, or you have a close friend who's going through those things, or you're just plain getting older, right? And, and the aches and pains are there, and you, if you're honest, there's this groan inside of you that says, I'm just tired, and I'm tired of being tired, and I'm tired of all the appointments and the pills and what I have to do to, to navigate life in this aging body, right? So for some of you, it's, it's very physical, uh, for some, it, there's, there's an emotional groaning, right? Some of you are experiencing grief and loss right now and, um, and sadness or loneliness. And you're like, I feel like the world just kind of keeps going and I'm stuck in this grief and it, it's not going away. Like it's still there and I just, I just, I wake up and I groan and there's a new normal and I have to just keep going. Uh, for some of you, uh, it's your own brokenness <laughs> that you groan. It's, it's, I, I love what Mark you know, articulated, what God sees in our hearts. It's the, it's the brokenness and sin and dysfunction that, that just has, is very sticky. It doesn't seem to go away. And you groan yourself. Um, one of my favorite poets has this line. I, I had to include it because it, I love it so much. She says, I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world but walk slowly and bow often. Right? And she has this picture of the, the kind of person she so longs to be and yet regularly she's reminded, I'm so distant. There's such a gap from who I long to be and who I know myself to be. And many of us, probably all of us in some way, we groan that, right? Like, gosh, God, why is your process of transformation so slow in my life sometimes? And for some of you, it's a, it's a relational groaning, right? You're, you're in a, there's a relational fracture or tension in your life, in your family or with a friend or at work that, that's just hard. It's just messy and complicated. And you just like, ah, I'm just groaning that, and then, of course, there's just events that take place in this fallen world, right, that we groan. I mean, I think this community has been groaning over the past few weeks as we found out this horrible tragedy of, of Kobe Bryant and his, his daughter and those families that, you know, died in this helicopter. And I think that has had such strong echoes in this community because, you know, you, you kind of either know one of those people or you're probably only one relationship removed, you know, from those people. And so you, a thing happens like that, and communities just, oh, no, what, like, what? what? What is going on there? And we groan larger events, right, that are going on. We look at the, the political moment we're in and the, the language that's being used on all sides, and we're just like, ugh. you read the newspaper, you're just like, ugh. You just groan, right? We groan. So I want to just kind of get us inside of that and acknowledge that is reality. We groan. We hope and we groan in this already but not yet world in which we live. So what I want to do for the last several minutes is just consider the Spirit's role in our lives. Consider his role in our hoping. Consider his role in our groaning, particularly in our prayers of groaning. And again, he, he is the counselor. He's the comforter. He's the one that comes to fill us with hope and to be with us in our groaning. And what the thought of the week for me as I was studying this, it was interesting for me. It was the, the main idea that came to me was 
You know, it's interesting. The Spirit helps us in our groaning, but he actually doesn't help us by taking away our groaning. He helps us actually groan well, I think, is what we're going to see. So I want to just look at those two things. He, he is the one who fills us with hope, and then he is the one who comes alongside of us in our groaning. So let's look at the hope side of this for a moment. Um, there's a phrase in verse 23. Take a look at verse 23. It'd be so easy to read right, right past this phrase, but there's a lot contained in it. Uh, verse 23 says, not only so, but we ourselves, and here's the phrase, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. And then we wait eagerly. So he refers to the first fruits of the Spirit. And I want to talk about that phrase for a moment. And its connection with hope. Okay? The idea is that the Spirit is the first fruits of eternal life for us. So let me, it's obviously an agricultural image. Let me give you a... Well, that's not a very good picture. But um, you can see there, there's a picture of first fruits, Right? So the idea is it's harvest time or it's the beginning of the harvest. You've got your grain or you've got, in this case, your grapes. And the first fruits are the first harvested, harvested things that, that are brought in. And the first fruits are part of the harvest. And, of course, they guarantee there, there's a harvest out there, right? And that is one of the roles of the Spirit in our lives. He is the first fruits of eternal life. He is God's gift of himself to us in this time. And he is, in, in that, there's two things. He's, he is our guarantee that we are going to receive eternal life. God gives us the spirit to say, hey, there's a harvest. It's called eternal life, and I'm going to give it to you. But right now, I'm going to give you just a, uh, you know, I'm going to give you uh, the, the, a guarantee of it by giving you some of the first fruits. In other parts of scripture, the spirit is referred to as the down payment, God's down payment. I own you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm putting down my 10% right now to guarantee that. And that's my spirit placed in you. So he guarantees eternity. But not only does he guarantee it, but he's also a taste of eternity itself, right? The first fruits, those grapes are part of the harvest. They're, they're a sample size of this larger harvest that is coming. And that is one of the spirit's role to be this some translations say this foretaste of eternity, right? He's a, he's a glimpse. He's just a, a sample size of what we will someday experience in full. And you think about that's the Spirit's role, right? The Spirit comes and we begin to experience God as our Abba Father. Well, that's what eternity is going to be all about. Like we will fully embrace that God just loves his kids, but we get a glimpse of it now because the Spirit's starting to do that. There's joy in the Spirit. There's peace in the Spirit. These are all foretastes of eternity. He is the presence of the future in our lives today as a foretaste. All right? But what I was thinking this week is, um, you know, what, is a, what does foretaste do to, to our groaning? It, it, it fills us with hope. He comforts us. And yet it doesn't take away the groaning, right? And I, I, I had like a thought experiment. This may go south theologically, but I, I'll try it here. I was thinking, you know, so let's say tonight um, you're going to go to your favorite restaurant. So you pick. Think about your favorite restaurant. You're going to have your favorite meal at your favorite restaurant. And so you show up there with your spouse or a friend or whoever you want to be there. And um, you sit down at the table, but they come to you and say, you know, we're having some problems in the kitchen. Um, it's going to be a while. It's going to be like two hours. And you didn't have lunch today because you were really looking forward to coming hungry to your favorite place. 
She's like, two hours, my goodness. So you sit there and you're having a conversation and your, your stomach starts to groan, right? You're, you're groaning for this, this meal. And, and an hour in, the, the waiter comes to you. Um, so for me, my favorite meal would be like a filet. Be like a filet, maybe some really good mashed potatoes and some like asparagus or greens, glass of red wine. So for me, the, the waiter comes out. He said, I'm so sorry. It's going to be another hour. Um, but we were able to make one, and I, I have just a bite. And he's got a piece of filet on a, on a <laughs> fork, and he sticks it in my mouth. And he gives it to me, and it's so good. It's like, oh, that's what I'm longing for. He's like, it'll only be another hour. But I just wanted you to get a bite, right? So, like, what does that do to my groaning? You know, in some senses, it relieves me. It, it, it guarantees, okay, the food is there. It's going to happen. It fills me with hope. And yet, in some ways, it almost intensifies the groaning, right? Because it, it reminds me that it's not yet here. And not that the Spirit is a tease from God. I mean, I, that's where the, the theology... But in some sense... I think the spirit is like that for us. We get these foretastes of eternity that are sweet and beautiful and bring relief. And yet, in in the same sense, they make the already not yet even the more poignant because now we've had a taste and we know what is possible. And so we're filled with hope and yet it doesn't relieve the groaning. In some senses, it intensifies the groaning, but it makes it a hope-filled groaning, right? All right, so let's talk about the groaning. Um, that's the hope part. Um, I love this. Verse 26 and 27. How he helps us in our groaning. This is where I'll lay on the plane this morning. Um, let me read these verses again. Uh, they're so amazing. Uh, in the same way, the Spirit, this is verse 26, helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Okay, so I'm not even going to pretend to fully understand exactly what those verses are saying, but what I would like to do is just try to help us maybe enter in a little bit to, I think, the reality that God is, is trying, or that Paul is trying to communicate. And it's so beautiful. All right, so he says in verse 26 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the word help there, that's a weak, I wish there were a stronger English word, but the the original word means really to help by joining in the activity of or or the effort of along with someone. So the image that I have is like, imagine someone's carrying a burden, carrying a weight, and then a helper comes alongside to get under that burden and to lift it up and to carry it along with that person. That's the kind of that's, the, that's the, the image that the word conveys, that the spirit comes alongside and, and lifts up and helps us in the burden. So the, the story I was thinking of this week is the story of Moses um, and Joshua. Remember when, when Israel's fighting an army and Joshua's out leading the armies and they're, they're fighting people? Yeah. Uh, and Moses is up on a hill watching and he's, he's holding up his staff as this act of prayer to God. And as long as he holds up his staff, Israel's winning the battle. When he, he starts to get weak, they start losing the battle. And so he's, he's losing his strength. And so Aaron and her, these two guys come alongside him and they have him sit down on a rock and then each one of them holds one of his hands up and essentially lifts up the staff and carries the burden of prayer with him so that Israel will win the battle. And I think that's a, actually a good image for what I think 
Paul is saying is the Spirit's role for us in our praying. He helps us in our weakness. He comes alongside us and carries those burdens with us to the Father in prayer. He goes on. Look at verse 26, next sentence. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Okay, have you ever not, just not known what to pray for? You know, you ever encounter situations in this already not yet life where it's so painful or, or so confusing or just so, you know, just, you just don't know and you're like, you're just, you just want to groan. All you know what to do is you're groaning to God, but you're like, I, I don't even know what the right prayer, like, do, is, is, Praying for healing, is that the right thing? Or am I supposed to pray for just for peace to get through what's going through? Or is this relationship here supposed to happen? Or is this job here? I, I don't even know what to pray for, Lord. So I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, I just, Lord, I don't know. This is so hard. This is so confusing. And he says, in those moments, it says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I have lots of questions about that phrase. So one of them is, who's doing the groaning here? So are we, are we groaning? Or is the spirit groaning? Or is the spirit groaning through our groaning? Like what's going on here? And what made the most sense to me is I think we have a really helpful parallel in last week's passage about maybe the dynamic that's taking place here. So if you go back to verse 15, this is from last week's passage. Look at verse 15. There Paul says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And here it is. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So last week, we looked at one of the roles of the Spirit is to, to testify to our spirits that we're God's children and to usher an Abba, Daddy, cry from within our hearts to God. So it seems to me that the Spirit is crying Abba through our spirits and inspiring our spirits to be able to cry out Abba so that we begin to, to cry out to God as if he really were our dad who loves us. So it's the Spirit crying through our crying. And I think that's probably the same dynamic here. That that the Spirit who ushers that Abba cry in our hearts also produces these Spirit-filled groanings to our God in the midst of our weakness. These righteous, holy groanings, these longings for God's kingdom to come. We don't even know how it should come in this moment, but we're longing for his kingdom to come. And yet we're feeling the weakness and the confusion of the present moment. And so he, but he's groaning with us, carrying our burden and bringing that to the Father in the midst of our weakness. And the beautiful thing about that is this. We are weak. We are confused. We don't know what to pray. The spirit is not weak. The Spirit is never confused. The Spirit always knows exactly (laughs) what to pray, right? Look at how verse 27 ends. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Oftentimes we don't know what the will of God is, but the Spirit, I can promise you, always knows what the will of God the Father is. And so he comes alongside, and, and we have these inarticulate groans, and it seems like he can take those groans and go to the Father and say, you know what, what they, 
It's almost like a translator. <laughs> you know, what Dave means by that is this. This is how this is, is, is going to usher out into your, your, your kingdom purposes. Okay, let me keep going. So um, verse 27, look at verse 27. This is fascinating. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Now, who is he who searches our hearts? That's God the Father. And I, I love Mark's image of, of the, um, what's that called? A what? MRI, right? The Father is the one who searches the hearts of every human being. And the actual biblical image here is of like a guy going into a tunnel with a torch and, and searching out these deep recesses. And that's what God the Father does. He searches the hearts. And the beautiful thing here is that Father who can go into the dark recesses of our hearts and search, what he sees in there are these spirit-inspired, holy groanings and longings for God's kingdom in the midst of our weakness and confusion. The Spirit coming alongside, praying with us according to God's will. Because the Spirit knows the mind of, of, of the Father, and God knows the mind of the Spirit. And so he sees that, and he is delighted in that. And he can answer those, for us, confused prayers in ways that are perfectly in line with his, his will and with our good. So that's why I look at verse 28, where it goes next. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what the right answer is. We don't know what his kingdom purposes are, but the Spirit does, and he groans in us, and God sees the Spirit groaning and answers the prayers of his people in line with ways that are ultimately good for us. Not always pleasant, right? Not always fun, but for our best ultimate good and for his kingdom. You hearing that? I mean, again, I don't totally know what I just said. Um, Like, I don't understand... But it, to me, it feels like this, there's this holy mystery that we are brought into in the midst of our pain and suffering, that in prayer, we are being brought into the life of God himself, as the Spirit of God is interceding and praying through us to God the Father, and God the Father is, is answering our prayers slash the Spirit's prayers in line with his will. What a beautiful thing to be brought into the very life of the Trinitarian God through prayer as the Spirit works in us. Let me give you a couple quotes. I love this. We often think that we are praying to God from a position of independence, but this is not the Christian idea. If our prayer reach or move him, it is because he first reached and moved us to pray. Now get your mind around that. I think that's right. Uh, Gordon Fee, I think this is in your bulletins. Prayer is not simply our grocery list of requests that we bring before God, Prayer is an activity inspired by God himself through his Holy Spirit. It is God siding with his people and by his Spirit bringing forth prayer that is in keeping with his will and his ways. Isn't that beautiful? So I just want to leave you with that encouragement that in the midst of your groaning this year and this week, we, we have this God who through his Spirit first off, offers us hope in suffering, and second, comes alongside and groans with us as our comforter, our companion in suffering. And so I think, you know, this is the end of two weeks on prayer. The invitation for us is to be people of prayer, spirit-filled people who offer spirit-filled prayers of holy groaning 
in the midst of the pain and suffering of this world. Final quote for the day. This is um, N.T. Wright. The church is not to be apart from the pain of the world. It is to be in in prayer at precisely the place where the world is in pain. That is part of our calling, our high but strange role within God's purposes for new creation. There is a challenge here to every church and every Christian to be willing to shoulder the task of prayer of this kind, prayer in which we are caught up in the loving, groaning, redeeming dialogue between the Father and the Spirit. We are to offer these groaning prayers. Uh, and I'll just leave you with this thought. My, my experience is um, most people don't know how to groan well. Right? People are good at grumbling, but we don't know how to groan well. We live in a culture that that will avoid groaning at all costs. We take anti-groaning pills, right? We perform anti-groaning surgeries. We buy anti-groaning products. We engage in anti-groaning activities and distractions all the time. We hate the tension of the already, not yet. But the church's role in the world is to stand in the gap, right? To live in that uncomfortable tension of already, not yet, and to pray and to groan, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we have a great advocate and counselor and companion in that journey, the Holy Spirit. So let's go to him now in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just take a moment now as we've heard from your word, this wonderful mystery of how you are at work in our lives. We stand right now in this moment as your children, and you stand as the creator of all things, also our Father, and you search the hearts of every one of us. You see into the dark recesses of our hearts right now. You see the suffering You see the anxiety. You see the hopes. You see it all. And so, Lord, we want to stop living in denial that you see it all. And we want to bring it all to you with these spirit-inspired groans, prayers, requests, longings. And we don't even know what to pray for most of the time. But that does not have to stop us from prayer one bit because we trust that you know exactly what is needed. And so we say thank you that you have given us your spirit, your very presence living with us, not just to fix our groans, but to actually groan with. You are a companion in suffering. And so we want to just bring you our groans, our requests. And I I invite you even right now, what, what is one groaning, longing request of your heart? Why don't you just take a moment in silence to bring that to the Lord in prayer?